Good morning once again, Hope Church. Everyone doing good? Good, good. Everyone survive snowmageddon, you know? The world freaks out now when there's a little bit of white stuff on the ground. It's a different world than when I grew up, let me tell you. Yeah, I know. But I want to begin by asking this question, and that is, how many of you out there are interested at all in sports? Any, any sports fans out there? Few? Okay. Anybody? I don't even know if I should go there, but is anybody watching the Olympics? It's kind of, yeah. I won't even talk about that because it tends to get really political, so we'll just leave that be. But, well, it does, right? But for those of you who are sports fans, how many of you remember watching a game, and uh, it doesn't really matter what sport it is, basketball, baseball, football, or my favorite, which is, ah, and my favorite team? Ah, you guys know me, that's good, that's good. But you're sitting there, you're watching your favorite team, and they're ahead, they're winning, and, and you're elated, right? You're excited because you want to see your team win. That's what it means to be a fan, right? Fan is actually short for fanatic. And we know that many people are fanatical about their favorite sports team. But you're watching your team, they're winning, and then they go into something that's referred to as the prevent defense. The prevent defense. The idea being they focus just on defending and thereby prevent the other team from winning. But there's a problem with this. And the problem is that when the team, the opposing team, no longer has to defend because your team is focused just on defending, they can focus all their energy on offense. They can go on the attack. And the attack becomes relentless. And you guys have seen this. Eventually, your team's defense breaks down. The other team scores. And now you're sad. Maybe even angry. Because your team was winning, but now they're losing. And this prevent defense, this prevent defense, this didn't stop the other team from scoring. All it did was prevent your team from winning. So why do teams do this? Why do they implement this prevent defense? Well, it seems that they are familiar with the old adage, the best defense is a good what? Offense, right? The best defense is a good offense. Offense, And this is something that transcends sports. This goes beyond sports. It's applicable to things like board games, like chess. It's applicable in a courtroom setting. Or when you're talking about intellectual property, patents. It applies to war. In fact, this adage is often referred to as the strategic offensive principle of war. And throughout history, versions of this adage have been written by people like George Washington, Mao Zedong, Machiavelli, Sun Tzu. The idea is that a strong offensive position will preoccupy your opponent and thereby render any counterattack almost impossible. 
So then you have this strategic advantage that allows you to triumph in your given endeavor, whether it's a board game or a sporting event or if it is war. Now, I know you're wondering, how does this help us? Can we apply this principle to our lives as Christians? Well, let me ask you this question. Are we at war? Absolutely. We are at war with who and with what? With Satan and the forces of evil in this world. We do battle daily with the desires of the flesh, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Wouldn't it be nice to have a winning strategy in that war? Well, we can, because believe it or not, our best defense is a good offense. Well, today we come to week five of our series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And I hope, I, I pray that we're beginning to get the grasp of the incredible importance of better understanding this third person of the Trinity. Now when we consider who the Holy Spirit is, and we looked at that in week one, and who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, right? The third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We talked about this before. Three gods in one. But there is just one God. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. And then when we consider all that the Holy Spirit does, and we've looked quite a bit at the work of the Holy Spirit to this point, and when we consider the work of the Holy Spirit, we come to the conclusion that, as we said in week two, yes, we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Now today, we're going to keep building on our knowledge of the work of the Holy Spirit. And through our study, we're going to see that not only is the Holy Spirit a gift from God, right? Jesus referred to this a number of times, the promised gift that was going to be sent down from God, the Holy Spirit. We're going to find that this gift is also a gift giver himself. Because he's the one that provides our defense and our offense in this war that we're engaged in. Now, I want to focus our attention on Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, we're going to kind of focus in on verses 16 through 26. Probably look at a couple of other passages within Galatians as well, but that's kind of where we're gonna where we're gonna live today. And you guys know I'm big on context, so I want us to begin by understanding why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. So Paul had traveled through the region of Galatia on his first missionary journey around the years 46, 47 A.D. Luke writes about this in pretty detailed uh, accounts in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. And he talks about how Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kerygma, as it's referred to in the Greek, the proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection of Christ. And along the way, throughout Galatia, these churches were established. Now, 
If you've been paying attention, we know that we don't necessarily credit Paul with the laying of the foundation and the establishing of these churches. Paul, yes, he, he preached the gospel. But we know that establishing and building the church is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So it was the Holy Spirit working in and through Paul to establish these churches. And Paul actually makes this point at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3, basically saying there that, that they had received this gift from God, this gift of the Holy Spirit, and they had received it by faith. But you know, it wasn't long after Paul had moved on that false teachers had infiltrated the church. And they had convinced the Galatians of a false gospel. A false gospel that told them that they had to follow the Jewish law. In particular, the law of circumcision. But Paul makes it clear. He makes it very clear in this letter that the Galatians have been liberated from the law. And salvation is found in Christ alone. But he wants them to know, and he wants us to know as well, because this is written for our benefit as well. He wants us to know that this freedom from the law doesn't necessarily mean that we can just do whatever we want. Yes, we are free, but believers, followers of Jesus, live a new life, a new life of love, Empowered by who? The Holy Spirit. And actually Paul begins to explain this in Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 13. We're going to roll back a few verses here. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So we're free from the law. And freedom from the law is something that Paul writes about extensively. If you were with us when we looked at Colossians this past summer, that was one of the things that Paul impressed upon the church at Colossae as well. They were free from the law, free from the rules. So when, when Paul says that we are to walk by the Spirit, what he wants us to know is that there's really two things that we need to do. There's two things to walking by the Spirit. The first is this. The first is we seek wisdom. We seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our guide. We seek guidance when we're making decisions. And that's why in verse 16, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So when Paul says walk by the Holy Spirit, he says, look, 
Seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Seek the wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit is our guide in life. He's our tour guide through life. We seek guidance whenever we're making decisions or choices. And we face decisions and choices every day, right? All day long, we're making choices. And we need the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit to make right choices. So we first seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Second, we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to act, to act on that discernment. It is the Holy Spirit that supplies the power we need to act in a manner that aligns with that wisdom that we receive from the Holy Spirit. This is the way that we as Christians should live our lives. We are to walk in the Spirit. We need the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit because we're at war, right? We are at war. Paul talks about that in verse 17 where the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit, he talks about, they're constantly in conflict. As we said earlier, we are at war with Satan and with the forces of evil in this world. That's why Paul encourages us in many different places, especially in Ephesians chapter 6, to put on the armor of God. He tells us to put on the armor. No soldier goes into battle unprepared and comes out a winner. That just doesn't happen. That's not the way it works. And we know, we know, if we're honest, we know that our propensity is towards sin. That's our nature. Our nature is sin. The desires of the flesh. But when we walk by the Spirit, when we seek the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can fight those urges to do whatever our flesh desires. And Paul tells us in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what Paul's saying here is that the antidote to the flesh, the antidote to our desires, that's not found in the law. That's not found in our ability to keep the law. And why is that? Why is, why is it not found in the law? Well, can we keep the law perfectly? No, absolutely not. And we know that. We know that. We also know that there was only one person who ever kept the law perfectly. And who was that? Jesus. Absolutely. And Jesus, yes, he, he lived a perfect life. He lived a perfectly righteous life. But then he gave his life. He gave his righteousness that we might be righteous, that we might be free from that law. Paul made that point earlier in Galatians chapter 2. He says, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's it right there in one sentence. We are justified by faith in Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. The other thing I want to note here from verse 18 is the original Greek 
where it says you are led by the Spirit, it's, it's actually in the present tense. So it is max, it's more accurately translated, are being led. This is an ongoing process. This is an active involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a lifelong pursuit. The Holy Spirit leads us if we walk by faith. And then beginning at verse 19, Paul gives us a list of these chronic habitual sins that, as he tells us, will keep us out of the kingdom of God. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, in the, in the verses just prior to this, Paul had described this battle, right? The war that is raging within us between the spirit and the desires of the flesh. And although this is a battle that takes place within us, the outward results are obvious. This is war. And what Paul outlines with this list is what it may look like if the flesh is winning. So we're constantly on the defense in this situation, right? This is, this is kind of our prevent defense. We're, we're, we're constantly trying not to succumb to the desires. We're trying so hard to follow the rules, right? Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. There's a lot of thou shalt nots, right? And Paul warns us here, if we live like this, we will not be going to heaven. Well, look, hey, we want to go to heaven, so we better follow the rules, right? Because if we follow the rules, if we follow the law, then we'll inherit the kingdom of God, right? No, 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 no. That is not at all how it works. We are justified. We just said it. We just said it. We are justified not by the law, but by faith in who? In Jesus. That's why Paul says we're liberated from the, from the law. We are liberated by the work of the cross. So if we're constantly on the defense, you know, if we're constantly in this, in this prevent defense, you know, trying to earn our way, trying to be good enough, are we going to win? No. No. Certainly not on our own. We need a defensive coordinator, if you will. Any ideas on who that might be? Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Paul told us, if we walk by the Spirit, what? We will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? There's our defense. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's awesome news, isn't it? That's awesome news because once we become a Christian, then we'll never sin again. Uh, that's not right either, is it? No, no. That's absolutely not true. As a matter of fact, the Heidelberg Catechism does a really good job of, of, of explaining this. Question four asks, we go back a little bit, what does God's law require of us? That's a reasonable question if we're supposed to follow the law. 
What does God's law require of us? And the answer is, Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. And you guys know this. I know that you know this, if you've been paying attention at all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God, love others. The two greatest commands. And he says, on these two law, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything depends on those two commands. Okay, so we know what God's law requires of us. Question five asks, can you live up to all of this, meaning God's law, perfectly? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the catechism goes on to say, I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. And, and friends, that is part of our sin nature. That is, that is who we are. That is our nature. That's the battle that Paul talks about raging within us. And we all struggle. We all struggle. If we are honest, if we are honest with ourselves and honest with each other, we will admit that we see the conflict within us. I see it in me. Am I the only one? Just a couple, huh? Wow. Praise God, it's not just me. But see, friends, this inner spiritual warfare, this is a part of the Christian walk. And yes, the Holy Spirit will help us with our prevent defense that helps to keep us from sin. And by His power, we will turn from sin. That's one of the gifts that He gives to us generously. But will we fail? Yeah, we're going to stumble and fall from time to time. Praise God, He made a way for us to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. But I want us to think for a minute about this old adage that we started with, the best defense is a good offense. Is there any way that we can apply that here? I, I think there is. I think there is. And beginning at verse 22, Paul goes on to describe this other gift that the Holy Spirit pours out on us that gives us the offense that we need, the tools to attack the desires of the flesh. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And friends, with this fruit, with this fruit, we no longer just sit back and defend. We go on the offensive. We go out and we attack life and live lives that are filled with the Spirit, filled with this fruit that Paul talks about here. It is the fruit, fruit, singular, singular. These are not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not like you can you know, go down and pick and choose and say, well, I like this one and this one works for me, but those I don't, I, nah. That's not how this works. It is a singular act of the Holy Spirit. You know, too often I hear people say things like, oh, you know, that's just how I am. <laughs> I can't change, you know. I, I have a short fuse, I know. I, I, I don't have a lot of joy in my life, but, but that's just how I am. 
I can't change. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't love everyone. I don't love that person. I can't forgive that person. I, I, I can't change. Friends, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Give the Holy Spirit some credit. This is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And you're telling me that he can't change you and he can't change me? That's nonsense. The power of the Holy Spirit can work in and through you to change you. And that fruit will grow in your life. And all of this fruit, friends, like I said, it's singular. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of Christians. Have we seen this fruit modeled anywhere before for us? Anybody that has modeled this perfectly that you can think of? Jesus, right? Jesus, that is exactly how he lived his life. It's recorded for us in the gospel. And as, as we are transformed, right? Our goal is transformation. Our goal is change. As we are transformed and we become more and more like Christ, oh, there it is again. There it is again. That, that theology 101 word, the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, exhibiting more and more Christ-like characteristics. We become more and more like Him. We become and we bear more fruit. You know, we, we talked about this uh, last week when Jesus taught in the upper room in John 15. He told us, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, right? But it's interesting what he says just before that. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will what? Bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. If we place our faith in Christ. He will remain in us. He will live in us. How does he do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's how we bear fruit. And, and I want you to know that it's, it's no mistake that the first item on this list is what? It's love. It's love. Because love encompasses all the rest. What did Jesus say in Matthew? He said, on these two commands, love God, love others, hang all the law and the prophets. Everything is dependent on that. If you got that, you love God, you love others, everything is going to follow. Everything is going to follow. You will bear fruit. Paul goes on to say in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So again, when we place our faith in Jesus, we belong to Him. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We belong to Him. And if we belong to Him, He will remain in us. He will live in us. He will indwell us through His Spirit. And by the power of the Spirit, friends, we will, we will, this is not an option, but we will take the desires of the flesh and put them to death. We nail them to His cross. We nail them to the cross of Jesus. 
Uh, we may struggle with sin. But sin does not reign in our lives. Christ does. When we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in the way we should go, we are led by the Holy Spirit, as Paul said in verse 18. He says it another way in verse 25. He says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And really what Paul is saying here is the Spirit has given you Life, now let him direct your steps. Walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead you through life. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So, do you at all feel like you're always on the defensive feel like you're always trying not to do all those things that you aren't supposed to. Find yourself in this prevent defense. And maybe you find yourself failing. Well, the Holy Spirit can help you with that. He can be the defensive coordinator that you need so badly. And He can help you put those desires of the flesh to death. Sin does not have to reign in your life. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit can help you to go on the offensive and attack life and bear fruit, all of the fruit that Paul describes here. The fruit is a gift from the Spirit. Besides, and, and don't miss this, do not miss this, this is our testimony. This is how people know that we are different you know, if the world looks at us and they see us living our lives just like everybody else, doing whatever we want, they see us biting and devouring one another and destroying one another, what kind of testimony is that? But if they see our lives filled with this fruit, and when they see our love for God, and our true agape love for one another, then they'll know the truth of the gospel. They'll know the truth about Jesus. They'll know the truth about the Holy Spirit. Friends, I pray that we would be a people who walk by the Spirit, are led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. Because we know, we know that the best defense against the desires of the flesh is a good offense, a life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We praise you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are justified by faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. And that we don't have to worry about keeping the law. But by the freedom that we have, Lord, we are free to live lives of love. 
And we're only able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just pray that you would pour your Spirit out, that we would be a people that would live our lives walking in the Spirit. We ask for your help, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.